Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. I'm Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode 235, a hostful episode. Hostful. Not only a hostful episode, but a Q&A episode as well. Which has been a while. It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, I think that the last Q&A hostful we did would have been back in like October, November. 2017. Mm-hmm. Because there was that whole, you know, heading off, like figuring out this trip and selling our house kind of business, which feels like simultaneously yesterday and five years ago. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our hostfuls were kind of taken up with talking through that and answering those specific questions. So, yeah, when I when I put the call out on Facebook for more questions for this month's hostful, it was really nice to kind of get a, a sense of what people still want to know about. And boy, do we have a lot of Q&As to get through. We do. We've got some really good questions. And I, it was interesting to see, actually, a lot of them sort of fell into the same couple of categories or themes of things that people are curious about, both in terms of you and I and the way we do slow living, but also how it can apply for them personally and how it can be different, I guess. And we've got some other stuff that we want to update people on, namely where we are in the world. Mm-hmm. So we might... We might dive straight into that. But also, at the end of the episode, we'll also talk about next month's experiment. We will. It is time. It's that time. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. So, first things first. How are you going? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. It's everything's very different. It is very different. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm well though. I feel like this year or this trip, this period of life, is a massive experiment in like learning about myself and how I cope with things when they're different and when they're when they don't necessarily fit expectations and when I'm in a new place and how I react and all of that kind of stuff. So I've, I mean, I, I knew that this, this trip would be a trip of learning and figuring stuff out, but I don't think I realized how much I would learn about myself. Yeah. What have you learned? Oh, that I'm probably more uh, reactive to change than I thought I was. Like I was someone who was like, oh, yeah, change is great. I love change. And I do, and I crave it, but I also have funny reactions to change. What sort of reactions? Sometimes my uh, discomfort looks like anger when I'm faced with change or like a new scene or, you know, not knowing the vibe of a place or not knowing the rules. And I've realized that I'm very much still attached to doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like we, I find ourselves in a new place and, you know, it takes a bit of time to figure out a place and I don't know, which is what, what the status quo is or what I want okay you to provide a, a concrete example of this because <laughs> I have one in my head and I'm, I'm hoping that you relay this as well. Uh, so, okay, this is probably first world problems. But when we got to our place in Nelson, we stayed in Nelson in BC for a month. And it was lovely. The, the accommodation was great. A little smaller than we had expected. And it didn't have a laundry. Which is better. Smaller, it was, better. It was, no, it was great. In the end, yeah. It was absolutely great. And this is just a very small example of 
you know, just the things that I'm learning about myself. But it didn't have a laundry, right? And that wasn't something that I had expected. So I was unpacking the car <laughs> and I'm bringing in I'm bringing in our <laughs> luggage and... We had two huge bags full of dirty laundry because we just yeah, hadn't done it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As you do when you travel, you accumulate dirty stuff. And <laughs> I walk in and Brooke's like, this place doesn't have a laundry. <laughs> so dumb. And just those small things... And, and you were like, this is bad, I want to leave. You know, like that was your reaction straight yes. away. It's that anger, it's that, oh, like just when snowball. Thing, exactly. You, you're snowballing, going, no laundry, then this is, you know, a disaster. When I'm uncomfortable, I've realised that things go from zero to 100 really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think, because I've been writing in my journal every morning since we've been travelling, or most mornings since we've been travelling, and figuring this stuff out I think is going to, it already has, but I think going forward is going to prove so valuable. You know, once you become aware of something, a, a tendency or an issue or a problem or, you know, a failing or a weakness of your own, you can do two things. You can either ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist or you can try and change it. And the thing that I have realised, a positive thing that I've realised, is I have no fear in diving headfirst into those perceive weaknesses Mm. which is like and I'll often talk to you in the morning when you get up and I've been writing and figuring stuff out and unpicking big knots in my head and I'll talk to you about them and I I feel like this trip has afforded us that time and that space to really go deep into the stuff that holds us back Mm -hmm. as humans and from growing and from being the kind of people we want to be and I think for me that's the biggest thing because it's not it, this trip has not been simple. There are things feel simpler. A lot of things feel simpler uh, in terms of our time and what, where we spend our time. And, you know, we don't have a house to maintain or a lawn to mow or, uh, you know, the kids don't need to be at school for six hours a day or anything like that. Yeah, so those I, routines are just not routine. They're not there anymore. anymore. They disappeared overnight. They did. But that also, in some instances, makes things feel more complicated. Because it's all on us, you know. It's the four of us in our own kind of bubble making our way through the world every day. And that is wonderful and I'm so grateful for it. It's just a different kind of complicated, I guess. Mm. And so for me, it's it's all learning all this stuff about myself and about the way I am as a parent and a partner and just like an individual rolling around in her own mess in her head has has been amazing. And we're, what, three, three and a half months into it? No, we are. Three months. We are when you listen to this. But for pure you know, disclosure purposes, we're actually recording this quite early in the month of April, mm-hmm. even though this episode has come out late April. We're doing this for a couple of reasons. But let, take us through what does life look like for us at the moment? What's coming up in April that you know, is forcing us to record this now and you know, get pre- – it's almost like – we're tilting. We're, we're definitely tilting, but it's almost like the first couple of months has been great because it's like we've slow, we've we've lived our philosophy of slow travel, and it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we're both in this headspace space that we haven't been before, mm-hmm. yep, or for for a very long time. Because yeah, it's we've just come to realize some massive thoughts about. For me, parenting mm-hmm. and living on the road, those two big 
things have changed a lot in the last two months, which I'll come to and yep. we'll address in the, in the Q&As very shortly. But I just want to get a sense from you of we're now, I think the phase is t- tilted to not slow travel and what I'm calling the bunkering down and getting into these new routines and, and, and such, but we're coming up to quite a, another busy time and we're doing a lot of preparation. Mm-hmm. And that means recording podcasts months in advance. It also means logistically trying to figure things out because we're not even not closer to what the book tour looks like and the podcast tour. Mm -hmm. So what what how are you feeling about this all? Yeah, it's I think I feel like we're coming up to a bit of a change. You know, as you said, we spent the last two or three months figuring out what our new normal is which has been great to figure that out just in time for it to all change again. Yeah, exactly. So we've got another month and a bit of pretty slow, settled travel. So what the way we've been structuring our trip typically is that we spend a month in a place and then we move on and we don't do a lot of travel in between those times, but we do a lot of exploring. We get to know one place really well over a period of a month. And I've loved doing that. I've loved figuring out how you can quickly find a community and how you can quickly become you know, even just in like a an outsider sort of part of that community. And that's all going to change at the end of May. We, we head off on our big road trip. We're heading up and doing some exploring in Canada first, but we're traveling around a lot, doing a sort of a driving road trip. And then the book tour starts. And I'm feeling really quite uneasy about that because it's not come together yet and it's no. making me nervous. I mean, we have a route that we're taking through Canada and the US for the book tour. But if I'm perfectly honest, it's not falling into place the way that I had hoped it would. So fair warning, we are probably going to come at you guys with a request for some help over the next few weeks as we start to put that uh, that together. Uh, you know, even just in terms of venues, bookstores aren't. You know what? Let's not wait a couple of weeks. Okay. Let's. Put the shout out now right. to our wonderful listeners okay. because, yeah, the venues are just not coming together. The bookstores and just for whatever reason, under-resourced and can't put on these events. Yeah, or they're not interested. Yeah. Which is like, a that's a kick to the guts. So what are we are. asking our wonderful listeners okay. who live in the in the United States in of America and, Amer- and Canada, I guess? Yeah, Canada's coming. I think Canada will come together okay. as the US one does because yep. we're going to hit uh, Vancouver and Vancouver Island uh, late-ish June. Yep. We yep. do know that. We don't have dates yet, but that's where we'll be. Mm-hmm. And... I want to say up front, we're not going to be able to come everywhere in America. And I'm Mm -hmm. sorry in advance for that. But uh, anyone who particularly kind of down the West Coast and then across into Utah, Colorado, down to Texas, and then across the East Coast. And we kind of go up the East Coast and then all the way across the top of the States over to Chicago, Minneapolis. So like basically a big loop of the States. If you have... Any contacts, any recommendations, any suggestions for venues or for, I mean, bookstores, if you think that they're going to be into it, please let us know. Just send an email to hello at soyourhome.com because we would like this trip to be as full of conversations and meeting people as possible. We've, we've really got from about the middle of July through to the end of August, the beginning of September to fill. Some of those dates are going to be locked in with my publisher and, you know, that will let you know as that happens. But 
anything at this stage. We really just would love to tap into the wonderful community we have got. And I know there's a lot of people listening who live in the States. So if you think that you can help in any regard, even media or suggestions for places to stay or eat or anything, let us know. So those living in Washington, Oregon, California, Mm -hmm. Texas, Colorado, Utah, Utah, yeah, uh, Tennessee, the Carolinas, the Carolinas, into New York. York. We will be doing something in Brooklyn, definitely. Yeah, uh, Boston, Maine. All you know what? Just get in touch if you think you can help. I know, I, know, I do know a lot of Minnesota. Yeah, I do know a lot of you guys have, and I I appreciate that very much. I've kept notes of the bookstores you've recommended and things like that. Uh, but at this stage now, the rubber really needs to hit yeah, the road. Yeah, this is more and- like if you've got a firm lead on a venue, let us know. Yeah. Absolutely let us know. If you've got, like, friends that you, you're wanting to take 10 friends along to an event, we will put on an event for you. Yeah. You know, whether it's podcast recording, whether it's... Just a meetup. Yeah, You can meet exactly. up at a coffee shop with, you know, 10 people. I, I just... Yeah, I've been struggling a bit with it, to be honest. And I'm, I'm uncomfortable sharing that, but yeah, it's true. Very true. All right. Well, that's the update. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Let's get on to some Q&As. Okay. I'm excited for these questions. All right. So these have all come through our Facebook page, Slow Your Home mm-hmm. Facebook page. First one's from Amanda. Hey, I totally get that slow living is a process and never a final destination. But when your kids were really young, were you able to live a slow lifestyle? I asked because with three kids, four, two, and a nine-month-old, while I would love to live slow, they don't. Mm-hmm. I would love some tips, suggestions. We are currently trying to keep our schedule open and don't put the kids in many activities, and we are both teachers, so work full-time. Any tips? Yes. <laughs> it's a, like you are in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. The ages of your kids, that's a really... You can be the slowest, chillest person, and that's still just a busy time. And I can say that as someone who's come out the other side of it, and you can look back and go, man, I don't know how that all happened and everyone's still intact because it's it's full on. So first of all, I think just have uh, have some pride in the fact that you are already making those changes and making those choices, which don't come easy when everyone's telling you that being busy is good. And that's how, you know, you're successful and you're doing it right. If everyone's out of the house, you know, for 10 activities a week, you are making choices that will set your family up for a certain rhythm of slower as the kids get older and as you're able to to maneuver what that looks like. So I think, first of all, just pat yourself on the back and also understand that where you're at is really a full on time and it's okay to feel like everything's busy because it is like you've got three kids under five. I think that's busy in terms of tips and suggestions. I think continuing to operate in alignment with your values or your priorities is the best way to go because there is no right or wrong. Slow to you may look slow, different to slow to me or to the next person or your neighbor or your best friend. And that's okay because really it's about figuring out what's important and living in accordance with that. And once you've figured out those priorities, that core, that why, you're able to much more simply say yes to things that matter and say no to things that don't. And I say simply, not easily, because it's not easy to say no. 
but it is simpler to realize why you're saying no when you've got this foundation of this life, these values laid out. So if you haven't uh, already done something like this, maybe make a like a family mission statement or you know, a, a, write your eulogy, like write a three or four sentence eulogy if that's something that that appeals to you and just kind of meditate on that daily. Take a photo of it, stick it up on your fridge, get mm. it tattooed on your arm, I don't know, you know, something to remind you of what's important. Mm. And every day just think about it. Just gently put it at the center of something that you do every day, mm-hmm. knowing that what you're doing is building a foundation on which your family's going to grow in the way you want it to. So it sounds like Amanda's on the journey, right? Absolutely. So it's almost like build the framework, build those core fundamental things that you want to do when Mm -hmm. you're ideally living the slow life you want. So it's getting agreement with it, getting your head right. Yeah. Because it is impossible to live slowly at that stage. I'll just say it straight. But you can put this structure, these these early foundations together that once these, you know, the years move on, Mm -hmm. you will slowly, and it won't happen overnight, but you'll slowly start to reap the benefits. Exactly. Mm. Uh, What I will say though as well is check what's happening in your head when you're picturing what slow should, quotes, look like. Because uh, kids are not slow. Kids are not quiet. Kids are not neat. Kids don't necessarily... Uh, live chill, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm. as much as sometimes you'd like them to, they don't because mm-hmm. that's who kids are and they're rambunctious and they play and they're loud and they're messy and, you know, they're kind of dirt with noise with dirt on it, whatever that saying is. So don't get caught up in what you think slow should look like. Instead, concentrate on what it should feel like. Should it feel like contentment? Should it feel like moments of joy every day? doesn't matter how busy your day is, truly. If you can find a moment to slow down and just soak in the tiny detail, that one tiny detail, like that's slow. If you can spend a minute staring at your baby's eyelashes when he or she sleeps, that's slow. It doesn't have to look a particular way or sound a particular way. Like my house, when we had a house, was chaos some days, lots of days. Mm. You know, and the kids would be building forts and then they'd be racing around outside and they'd bring a collection of rocks and sticks in and then they'd be playing with the dog and stripping their bed. And, you know, they don't operate in the Instagram perfect world that hashtag slow living has come to stand for. And I think it's important to kind of remove that expectation. So kids are noisy, kids are busy, kids are full on. That's not going to change anytime soon. And you wouldn't want it to either, I don't think, because that's the joy of it you know, seeing kids play and roll with it and use their brains and their imagination and their creativity and live full. So I think that, yeah, focusing on your priorities and, and, you know, trying to put them at the center of your day gently every day in some small way, plus also just checking in on what you think it should look like and letting go of anything that's actually holding you back from finding contentment in the now. Nicely done. Let's move on. Carol writes in. Carol's on a sabbatical year. Okay, cool. Yeah. And she wants to know some more tips for slow living while traveling. This is an interesting one. We did touch on one key element. Can I kick off? Yes. One key element of slow traveling, I feel, is that you must spend time. 
You must spend time in a community, in a place. Often traveling, or the traveling that I grew up with, is trying to fit in as much as possible. Right. When you go to a new place. And it's only natural. You're like, you want to hit the highs. You want to go to all the tourist destinations. You want to, you know, experience everything. And you run yourself ragged. And while that's cool to do sometimes, if you're spending the amount of time you are traveling, I would suggest just spending extended time in a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it has to be a month. Or anything like that. No, I mean, did you I say can... a month? No, no, no. But you're like, you must spend time. And we had That's just... Right. It's, um, you know, you just must spend time. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, we had just mentioned a minute ago that we've been spending a month in places. Yeah. So I didn't want it to sound like that's what we were saying it was necessary because you can slow travel on a day trip. Correct. You can just find some time to sit in a park or sit in a coffee shop or go to the library. Spending time. And spend time. So you're not wrong. I just didn't want it to sound like it needed to look a particular way. That's all. And I think, honestly, you're right. That's the key. Time is one of modern life's luxuries. I think it's a thing that everyone's short on. And if you're in a position to be able to be taking this sabbatical, take that thing, that luxury, that is obviously part of why you're taking a sabbatical and spend it wisely. Don't get caught up in the rush. Don't get caught up in the constant sharing on social media or anything like that. Even the photography of time and travel. I mean, I take photos every day of things that we're doing. If we go for a walk or it's a particularly beautiful drive or a snowy day or whatever. But I think leaving your screens at home, leaving your camera in your bag occasionally and just soaking in the details of these experiences is the best way to make them whole and concrete in your memory. I also think that having, removing expectations maybe, and you can have as much of a plan as you want to in terms of travel. I mean, if that's, if that's how you work and feel comfortable knowing where you're going to be every day and what your activities will be. But I think also leave room for the unexpected pit stops or the spontaneous picnics you know, almost every one of our favorite moments of this trip so far has been a, let's just go for an explore and see what we find. Mm -hmm. That's when we find a park and yeah. the kids play for two hours. That's Absolutely. when we have a massive snowball fight in the middle of this, you know, walk that we didn't know we were going to do. That's when all of these wonderful things happen. And it's not that the, the, the planned activities aren't wonderful because they are, but it's in those moments where we, we allow ourselves to spend time in the openness in the not knowing in the freedom that is why you've taken a sabbatical i'm assuming how funny like we made this observation so we've been staying in airbnbs yeah during our time overseas so far and they've got wonderful information about you know they've got the pamphlets and the marketing collateral about museums to go to and you know the big tourist big pieces mm -hmm. and we've they've been great Right, and we've we've definitely gone to tourist destinations while sure. we've been away. But the information that we've craved is where do you go to immerse yourself in the community mm -hmm. that where you're staying, and that's where we've gone to like junior hockey matches, and that's where we've discovered, you know, these playgrounds that are not advertised yeah. in you know just your normal everyday playground. 
attached to a school or a community hall or something. They're the they're the bits of the pieces that I think we've have the strongest memories. Definitely. And the kids too. Because I think immersing yourself in the community of, of a place is, uh, it feels more normal, I think, for our kids than constantly traveling and hitting big tourist spots every day and feeling like you're on this never ending holiday, which sounds amazing. But I think when you're at the ages of our kids, can be a little discombobulating. So I think paired with having, having some kind of rhythm to our days has helped. I think in in that sense, uh, because we're on the road for so long, but also leaving things wide open for that community stuff. And you know what? And doing community things takes a certain level of discomfort, I think. Like I felt like a real- Depends on your personality. That's right. Yeah. I think. (laughs) Oh, you were getting to that state bit, were you? Okay. Walking into a community event, I kind of felt like an interloper. Initially, yeah, Yeah. I did. Uh, And it goes back to this thing that I'm learning about myself. I always want to make sure I'm doing things the right way. Like I don't want to look like the person who's breaking the rules or going against the grain or, which is interesting given, you know, the way we choose to live our lives. But it's, so it it is, it takes a certain level of discomfort or being willing to, to feel discomfort to become part of the community, even in a small way. But it's absolutely worth it as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) All right. Hopefully that has answered Carol. Hey, Carol, have a wonderful, mm, wonderful enjoy every sabbatical year. A couple of questions. They all relate to the same thing. So Julie, Emma have written questions about what do you do with when kids are on the go all the time? Mm-hmm. Like, and they want to do everything, you know, um, you know, that common phrase, so-and-so is allowed to, why can't we? Right. And all those type type of questions of kids just wanting to do everything every day. Mm-hmm. What 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 are some tips? Because I must admit it's been heightened on this on this trip so far. Well, absolutely, because we're it. You know, the kids are used to having six hours of external inputs, teachers, school friends, assemblies, that kind of stuff, and that's just not happening now, which is fine. But we're it. You know, and it's take. I think you particularly have been a little taken aback by the amount of energy that needs to be expended every day with the kids, especially on days where we're just exploring or, you know, no set agenda. It's been... It's amazing how much energy they must have exerted at school when they're at school. Oh, absolutely. Like a huge amount. Much more than than you'd expect, I'd say. But I must admit, like, their their energy levels... It's not really their energy levels. I think it's their tolerance is more even when we've been traveling because I must that when they've been at school like it's it's peaked it's big like ups and downs. big ups and downs big emotions and they'd come home and they'd be exhausted and you know they'd have tantrums and carry on and and obsess about things but mm-hmm. I just feel like while that's there it's been much more consistent across the day yeah I don't know just one observation yeah no I can understand that I think, though, these questions are more related to just not necessarily traveling life. Sorry. Yeah, I was just relating it to us. <laughs> no, totally. I guess going back to a similar answer to the one I gave earlier is figuring out what your boundaries for activities look like. Do you have a day each weekend that's family day? And if things fall on that day, you say no to it? Like, is that is that a boundary you have? 
Do you have a number of activities that your kids are allowed to do every term, every school term? Uh, let's say they can do two activities each every school term. And if you've got three kids, that's still six activities. Like that's a lot. But if that's your boundary, then, you know, create it and stick to it. Talk to the kids about it. If you like to have one weekend a month, that's offline time. You guys might go for a camping trip, you know, figure that out and protect, create and protect those boundaries from within. Talk to your family about it, make it a thing that you do. So then when you say no to the birthday party, to the extra activity, to the, you know, the, the optional dance performance, when you yeah, say no to those exactly. things, they know why they may not like it. They probably won't. You probably will get eye rolls and door slams and you're not going to be best friends. That's okay. For me, that's that's being a parent. Yeah. Like you don't always have to uh, please them. Don't totally agree. In fact, saying no is important because particularly once you say no and give them a reason why. Because we don't do anything on Sundays. Because Sunday is family day. Because you're allowed to do two activities a term and you're already doing drama and karate. So next term, if you would like to do gymnastics, absolutely. You just need to choose which other one to give up. Like giving kids boundaries within which they are free to make their choices is important, I think. Much like physical boundaries. You know, when people ask us about decluttering with kids, I'm like, well, it's not perfect. And it does, certainly doesn't look like an Ikea catalog. Like mm-hmm. you give them a space that's theirs. And within that space, they get to make their own decisions. And I feel like time and activity boundaries are much the same. I mean, of course, depending on the ages of your kids. If they're really young, you're allowed to make choices based on what's good for the family. You're allowed to say no to the birthday party. Uh, and I did a lot in preschool years and, you know, pre-preschool years. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was just a bl- like a blanket no, because that kept me sane. That kept, at that point in life, I needed quiet time on the weekends. We needed family time. You didn't see the kids during the week. Like it was, that was what was important for our family. And we prioritized And it. we did. Yeah. So I think, again, there's no cut and dried answer for what is right in terms of slow. Like we both said a few minutes ago, kids aren't slow. They are on the go. So also letting go of your expectations of what, you know, appropriate age appropriate behavior should be in comparison to what you wish it would look like. Like when our kids were really little, when they were toddlers, I wish life looked like coloring neatly and then I'll read them a book calmly and then they toddle off to bed. That's not what it looked like. Like their favorite game to play was rice. It was called rice. And we just emptied a bag of rice onto a blanket outside and they would spend hours making a huge amount of mess with rice. And then the birds would come and they'd eat all the rice out of the grass. That didn't look like what I wanted it to look like. Or craft time never looked like what I wanted it to look like. Oh, craft time. I still was vacuuming glitter out of our floorboards when we moved out. (laughs) You know? So I think, again, letting go of some of those expectations of what it should look and sound and feel like and figuring out what you as the the adult in the situation can do to make it easier for you but also more fluid for them. You know, so I realised when our kids were little... I used to, obviously, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I used to uh, play a podcast when I was cleaning the kitchen or decluttering or doing the, you know, the laundry or whatever. But I found myself getting more and more anxious. And I realized after a few weeks that it was whenever the kids were talking to me or wanting to do something or playing nearby and there was too many inputs, there were too many voices going into my head, I would get really anxious and that would end up shortening my fuse. So... 
instead of kind of feeling resentful of the fact that I couldn't listen to podcasts when the kids are around, I just stopped. I put on music instead, you know, and, and there's certain things that we can do, I think, to figure out what our triggers are and ease them. You know, maybe if that means you need to get up an hour earlier, and I know parents of young babies would be rolling their eyes at that, so yeah. please feel free to ignore, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or or not watching Netflix at night or, or whatever to try and lessen that mental load on you and to allow you to, to have a bit of space and time to enjoy the chaos that kids bring, then maybe that might be what is needed for the next six or 12 months. Because the other thing is it changes so rapidly and constantly too. What works for you now or what worked for you six months ago may not be working for you now. And it could just be a matter of revisiting what your rhythms look like, figuring out if there's a change to schedules that you can, you know, recalibrate your day according to. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move on. This next question is a cracker. And it's one that we've never had before. And we've had a lot of people comment on it and provide some advice. So I want to thank Maria and Magdalena in advance Mm -hmm. for their very, very wise advice. But uh, still, let's hear from you on the following question. Okay. And me, and I guess. You. Yeah. So this one's from Zoe. How do you do slow when kids are 100 miles an hour, which we've sort of just yep. spoken about, and feeling the peer pressure of fast place life? I have a 9 and 11-year-old, and my eldest has Asperger's syndrome mm-hmm. and anxiety. It's a problem for all of us. How can I help us slow down? We have so many extra processes we have to do, extra talking, counselling, teaching, uh, strategies, behavioural strategies. So it's very specific to special needs. And then because Maria and Magdalena also commented on slow slow life with special needs kids yeah because they both they both mm-hmm. have members of their family so with special what, needs yeah. what what advice do you have for that specific scenario i mean well look, my advice is going to come with a huge caveat that neither of our kids does have special needs so it's all kind of theoretical which may or may not be helpful i think i will say i mean both of our kids have gone through different kind of therapies occupational therapy speech therapy that sort of stuff but never anything ongoing and never anything is nearly as intense as as this situation but what i really liked about both uh, maria and magdalena's replies was that they both allowed uh, the diagnosis and all the attached appointments and you know counseling and all that kind of stuff yeah. activities that Extra come with activities, it yeah. to help inform the ways they were going to slow down in other ways so uh you know it actually i think it was magdalena who said that they slowed down more as a result because her child with the special needs responded more positively when they slowed down, when they took the time to have the conversations, when they weren't rushing off to all the extra activities that could be added on top of, you know, therapy or counselling or whatever else comes with it. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I mean, I feel kind of at a loss to give specific advice because I don't have any experience personally. But I do think that it's important, again, to not get caught up in what you should be doing outside of what needs to be done, you know, in terms of medical requirements and helping your child to thrive as much as they can. And I guess there's a a fine balance between that side of it, you know, the therapies and stuff that need to happen or that that kids with that particular set of needs require. Which is a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. 
so there's that. But then there's this fine line, I think, between that and then all the shoulds. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, I want my child to have every opportunity. Yeah, how many extras sure. can you pack in? Yeah, and that's that's the thing I think that applies to all parents. This pressure of I want my child to have every opportunity. I want them to, if they want to be a concert pianist, if they want to speak Mandarin, if they want to be a grade soccer player, if they, like, I want them to have those opportunities. And I completely understand that. But I think the reality is that the vast majority of kids aren't going to be concert pianists. They're not going to go to the Olympics. Uh, And every opportunity, you know, extracurricular opportunity that we give our kids takes time away Mm. from us as a family, from them, from downtime, from imaginative play, from getting dirty in the garden, mm-hmm. from hanging mm-hmm. out in the park with their friends, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not not the person who is going to say you should and shouldn't do X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C. Like I say constantly, what is right for your family is not right for other people's families and vice versa. But I think it's really important to figure out what is. Like how many of the things that you're doing are related to the status quo, what all your other friends and their kids are doing, what is recommended by the school, what, mm. you know, what, what is being pushed upon you mm-hmm. and figure out if that's actually in keeping with your values. Yeah. Your bigger why, those fundamental values that you've worked out, this is what slow living looks like for my family. Yes. One thing that I, well, one comment that I'll make that I observed of a family with special needs that were living a slower life is that they always managed expectations with their kids. So it was preload anything they would do, they would preload of saying, this is what I expect is going to happen. I'm, I'm using adult language. You would mm. obviously frame it for children, but this is what we're doing now. We're at the grocery store and we're doing X, Y, and Z. Mm. I expect you to, um, you know, be next to me, don't let go of the shopping trolley, da-da-da-da. It was, and it got, I think it it managed the expectation of, and the kid just responded so well to that Mm -hmm. because they were like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is what I'm, this is is the the rules. This is the, what we're doing now and what, what I'm expected to do. It was just this one small, it's just a small example of how I think, that those parents were just managing it really, really well rather than getting those emotions happening when they couldn't go and I want a lolly at the, well, that's not what we're here for. Right. They set it up front. We're here to get milk, bread and broccoli, mm-hmm. which is really random three things. But Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and I think for me, I mentioned it, I've mentioned it before, that slow living is kind of this weird duality of uh, being prepared, organized systems in place, knowing what's coming, managing expectations, as you say, and being flexible and fluid and understanding that life happens and, you know, there's bumps along the way and tantrums happen or people have bad days, you know. And I feel like that's kind of at the heart of this question of having enough systems and organization in place routines, rhythms, whatever works for your family. And then also having the mindset that expectations (laughs) are not always going to be met. Routines are not always going to fit the day. Rhythms 
you know, that's why I like the idea of rhythm because they have more fluidity to them. But sometimes they just fly out the window. And I feel like maybe with a family who has a child with special needs or additional needs, uh, that might even be more the case. So perhaps looking at what structures, what systems, what organization, what rhythms you can put in place that will help support all of the other activities you need to do with your child uh, and make sure there's time for those things and then create space and flexibility and fluidity for the things that will undoubtedly come up, you know. And But also, again, like I, the question previously, create some boundaries that are just for you and your family, time that's just for you. Really protect that time because you might find that that is the time that is recuperating for you. It's restorative for you all to just have that quiet family time. And you say, well, I'm going to say no to this activity because Sundays are our days. So I think that, you know, the, the kind of stuff that we've been talking about all this episode really does apply here too. It's probably just in a, probably just more so. Yeah, absolutely. You know? There's two key themes of this episode and these questions, parenting mm-hmm. and travel. Yeah, there is. Let's get on to this next one. And I guess it relates to parenting. Heather writes in, how do you manage slow and what slow looks like and the expectation of slow when it's against the norm. So it's that countercultural right. question. So yeah, this totally could apply to parenting, but it doesn't have to. Yeah. So, you know, I want to go to the party. Everyone's invited to the party. We're not going. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't Please don't buy me more stuff. I don't want more stuff. You know, you might say to your parents. And they turn up with a truckload. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage that? How, how do you manage that expectation? Again, it's... And can you? Yeah. But really, the question is, how much can you manage that and still have friends and family that, <laughs> that love you? And that's, a, that's a really good question because I think if in an ideal world like I was able to live in the way that I wanted, you know, selfishly my own kind of set of ideals and my philosophy to live, it would be very at odds, very much at odds with a lot of people who I love and respect and want to spend time with. So just straight off the bat, there is a certain level of compromise. Honestly, I truly believe that if you don't want to alienate people who you love, people who you live with, there will need to be a certain level of compromise. And again, it's about figuring out the two or three things that are most important to you at the moment and really asking people to respect that. But ask them to respect that by showing them what you do. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them. You can talk about it once or twice, fine, but show them. Don't demand of them. And I think that that's one of the, the the best ways to gradually get people to see where you're coming from. They may never agree with you. They may always buy you a present at Christmas, even though you've asked them not to, and kind of smirk about it. Maybe. I don't know. So I think figuring out what's important to you and why you're making those changes. Let's say you're going zero waste. Let's say you have created those family boundaries and every Sunday is family day. Yeah. And there are things that are encroaching on those two things. How do you deal with it? First of all, no can be a complete sentence. You are allowed to say, no, we can't make it to the birthday party. Sorry. Hope you enjoy it. Straight up. You don't have to tell people why. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say no. And I do think that a lot of our concerns about this sort of stuff is based in ego. And I know it is for me. If I say no to someone, if I disappoint someone, will they think poorly of me? They're probably not thinking of you at all. 
They're really not. I mean, there would be instances, of course, where you let someone down who's important to you. Try not to do that too often. And you, you can manage to not do that too often by prioritizing. But if you can say no to the preschool friend's friend's birthday party, then say no if you want to. And don't feel bad about it. You're allowed to say no. Do you also think that this phrase, which I've stolen from Kelly Exeter, friend of the show, mm-hmm. let me come back to you. Yeah, I love when that. You're, when you're feeling really uncomfortable about a particular situation, you might have like a, a one-on-one conversation in person with this, you know, and you are, you're actually not sure. Or maybe you are sure, but you're not sure how to say no. Correct. Let me come back to you. I love, I love it. I use it all the time and I'm constantly grateful to Kelly for introducing me to it because it's, you're, you know, you catch up, you, you happen to catch someone at the coffee shop, or at the grocery shop and they're like, oh, we should do this or you should come to this meeting or I'd love it. The kids would love a play date. And you're like. Uh, and then you just realize yes. your whole weekend is done. Exactly. If you did all that. That's right. So yeah. let me come back to you. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know. I'll send you a text when I get home and talk to my partner. I'll, I'll let you know. I, I think there is a freedom to that because not only does it give you the space to go away, remove yourself and then come back and say no, but it also says to the person who's doing the asking or the assuming or the yeah, exactly. pushing that the answer may not be yes. So I think that that's, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this is the question where she asked, do you have a particular phrase yeah. that you use? Yeah. That's probably the closest I've I got. I think so too. No. <laughs> yeah. And, your, and the permission for you to say no and let me come back to you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that generationally, and I think it might be a female thing more than a male thing, Mm -hmm. saying no and feeling confident in saying no is tough. I find it really tough and I've actually made it something that's quite important to me to teach our kids that they're allowed to say. You're allowed to say no. They're good at it. They're really good at it. They say no all the time to me. (laughs) They're too good at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I have noticed as I've gotten older, they are both quite comfortable in saying no. When someone wants to play a game, they don't want to play, not out of meanness, but because they're uncomfortable or because it's, you know, they just, they don't want to. They're both quite good at saying no. And I, I really like seeing that in them because I never saw that in myself. And I think that if we can learn to do that, we can probably raise a generation of kids who also won't have their boundaries encroached upon so constantly, hopefully. We've got a couple of questions left. I I'm going to have a couple of quick fire questions before we get to our experiment mm-hmm. announcement for next month. But I want to just dive into this question. Alex writes, um, what signs do you folks notice that started to build up and finally convince you that it was time for a massive shift <laughs> or jump? I feel like I'm getting some signs lately that I'm not in the right spot and I'm not sure if it's a small uh, tweak to stuff or a big ticket item that I need to change. Do you have any uh, pointers? That is a doozy of a question. Isn't it? Mm. So I, I guess it's, yeah, what advice do you have for people considering like a huge decision? So I think that both of those options that Alex provided can apply. So I think you and I both were feeling uneasy. We weren't in a great, like we were just, we knew that we wanted to be somewhere different, not physically, but in terms of where we were in life, probably three years ago. And that was when we first started having the serious conversation about you becoming self-employed. So, you know, in that year, 
before we actually made the final decision for you to become self-employed, there were lots of little tweaks that we made. So Alex says, I don't know if I need to make a little tweak or if I need to make a big jump. The big big jump. It could be much like us that the little tweaks are a prelude prelude, prelude to the big jump. Oh, the first two books in a three book series. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, There. Yeah. I was going to make some kind of Hunger Games reference, but didn't. So don't don't think it's an either or situation. If there are small changes or tweaks that you can make to where you are now that make you feel more content or more comfortable or more uncomfortable, if that's what you want, you know, pushing yourself a little more or talking, using different language or changing your daily rhythm or whatever it may be, make those changes and see where they lead you. Because what I think we discovered was that it wasn't one day we didn't wake up and go, hey, let's sell everything and go on a big trip. That's so true. It was just this really gradual shift, I think, from, you know, maybe the conversation did start, wouldn't it be nice if? And then we were like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but that's never going to happen because you have a job in the city with a boss and you're in the office from nine till six. Like, that's not going to happen. And then it was maybe six months later. It's like, hey, remember that idea? Like, yeah, but in order for that to work, I'd need to be self-employed. And we're like, haha, that that's funny. Yeah. And then it was another conversation, another conversation, all kind of underlined by an interesting like, dichotomy, I think, of finding more contentment in in life, in ourselves and our values and the way we were living, but also wanting a big change. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a roundabout way in saying that those two things, the little tweaks and the big jumps are probably connected. Oh, absolutely. And they're, they're a continuous circle yeah. almost because the way that I see okay, you've got some, everyone has massive big jumps and decisions to make in their life. Like let's have a baby, massive, and mm-hmm. it's a decision you make mostly. Get married, definitely a decision. Mm-hmm. Quit your job. Mm-hmm. Your, your big moment there is when you write your resignation letter and give it to your boss. That is, that's the, the big jump. That's the leap. But it's always, well, the way that we've done things is there is a lot, a lot of little steps, little milestones that you, you do to lead up to that point that makes the jump not big at all. Yeah, it feels like the obvious next step. Even to even it feels to, like just part of the process. Yeah, to the, like to people on the outside, it might seem like a big jump. Yeah. But you and I had been gradually over probably a period of three or four years excavating our priorities and our values. Oh, that's and we, a great term. Thanks. <laughs> I think I wrote it in my book. Just figuring out what was important to us, just as a daily, weekly, monthly thing. And slowly as that picture became more clear, we were able to make those small shifts that gradually led to bigger shifts and bigger shifts because we knew what we were about, because we knew in some nebulous way what we're heading towards. So short version of that answer is there was not one moment. There was not one conversation. There was not one realization where we're like, we need to make a huge shift. It was probably started by us figuring out what was important to us and then figuring out like the distance between where we were mm-hmm. and where we wanted to be. Yeah. We didn't necessarily focus on what that was going to look like. Mm. Not not in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We knew that you working 
such long hours and us not having time together as a family and me not coping with the pressures of running the house and being like a stay at home parent all the time. Like that wasn't working for us. We knew that we knew we wanted to change it Mm -hmm. and to have more equal balance of working and parenting and everything. And then we didn't really freak out. I don't think about figuring out the individual steps to get from A to B. Yep, exactly. It was just focusing on what was important. Just focus on what's important and the small steps do. Yeah. They just, just come take along the next with it. Step. Yeah, exactly. You you always have that big picture like, yes, I want to quit my job, right? Yeah. And that's that's great. A lot like, of people have that. You've agreed. You've written your eulogy maybe. Yeah. And you've realized, no, don't want to be in this job. Okay, what needs to change? I need another job. Yeah. So it's that how you're going to get there. They're the small steps. And there are thousands of them. Yeah. Could be millions of them. But it's not necessarily like the big jump at the end, like you're just, you know, you're diving headfirst with tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. That's not the way that we've operated Mm -hmm. because we've always made those small steps and have worked just one after the other. And it could take years. Mm. It has taken years. Yeah. Yeah. So you quitting your job, as you say, that wasn't the defining moment. Us getting on the plane or selling the house, that wasn't the defining moment. Everything led up to it so that those decisions to an outsider looked insane or looked huge, but to us just felt just the, the next process. step. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that has actually answered Alex's question, but I don't want her to get caught up in, in worrying about, do I need to make a small change or, or do big. I make, make a yeah. big change? Just start figuring out what's important to you. And I know like Alex has listened to the show for a long time, so I know she's been doing a lot of this kind of head work mm-hmm. and heart work already just meditating on that yeah. for a bit and figuring out what's a small shift I can make now. And then what's the next step and what's the next step. And those steps may vary in size and fear factor and risk and all those other things. But if you're doing things in a way that makes sense to you and they're in support of the thing that you're working towards, they're not going to feel insurmountable. Yep. Terrifying. Maybe sure. Mm-hmm. Insurmountable, no. Mm. All right. We've got some quick fire questions and I do mean quick fire because I've realized how long it's been good to chat. It's been good to give an update. It's good to, to catch up with you. Yeah. Because we want to do really quickly talk about our um, experiment. experiment. Okay. So here's, I want just some really quick answers. Okay. You're asking right. the wrong person, but okay. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. Here's some, something on the trip. Have you noticed any cultural differences between, we've only really been in Canada, mm-hmm. Australia, uh, yes, heaps, but in service of keeping this quick-ish, I will say that in Canada, I feel like there's fewer rules. And I think about this when I go hiking, right? Road rules as well. Oh, road rules are amazing in Canada. It's just the most polite place to drive. It's like a four-way stop. Who gets to go next? Oh, just the person who turned up first. Like, or the person, or the yeah, person exactly. who waves. Exactly. Or just leave. Yeah, it's just so good. When we asked our friend, we're like, how does a four-way stop work? And he's like, well, whoever just turned up first gets right away. Like, that would never happen in Australia. This is why we have roundabouts. Anyway, hiking is a good example. And I noticed this last time we were here as well. At home, like particularly the kind of walks we do with our kids, There's boardwalks, there's signs, there's arrows, there's directions, there's, you know, everything's pretty prescriptive. It's like instructions almost. There's fences everywhere, which of course is to stop people from falling. I get that. But 
here... Here's a 1.3 kilometre trip. Exactly. And then 300 metres down the road, you've got a kilometre go- to yeah. go. Yeah. You know, like it's that prescriptive. Yeah. Like, I'm not talking about big backcountry hikes. I'm talking about the kind of stuff you could do with a five and a seven-year-old, you know, exactly. which was last time. But then we came to Canada. I'm like, okay, let's go for a hike. It's a, The spring's been warm. There's no snow left. Let's go for a hike. So we Googled hikes in the area we're in. And this one apparently sounded great. And we got there and it was just like a trailhead. And then there was a trail, but then there was about 15 trails kind of looping off it. And there was no guidance. There was no anything. And I'm like, are we doing the right thing? And Ben's like, I don't think there is a right or a wrong thing. As long as you're not endangering yourself, you're okay. Which, Which really goes back to what I started the episode with. This idea of me being concerned about doing the right or wrong thing. Breaking the rules. Being where I should or shouldn't be. I kind of feel like there's less of that here. So good. So instead of rules, there's guidance. Yeah. I mean, there's and there's rules like on a ski hill, for example. This is the boundary of the ski hill. Beyond this is not patrolled. Like that's a pretty obvious thing. But kind of beyond that, I don't know. I think I'm learning to not be a groomed run person and learning to be a go in the trees kind of person. Exactly. Here's one from Sal. How, you, how are you coping just being the four of us? And more importantly, I think, how, how have the kids been away from their friends mm. and family? Uh, coping really surprisingly well for it just being the four of us. I think it took about a month for you and I to go, oh, so this, like, this is us. We're this unit for the next however long. And it did take a bit of getting used to, as we spoke about earlier, like just dealing with people's energies and moods and needs and figuring out what I require, what you require what the kids require has been really interesting. I feel like I'm learning a lot about them as individuals, learning about how they learn because we're doing the distance ed schooling, learning about uh, their connections and attachments to things, learning about um, the fact that they are very social beings. Like I'm, I'm kind of like a, a wannabe hermit. Like I could happily. You're an introvert. Hun. Well, no, yeah. I know that. But I mean, even introverts like to get out. I'm like, I could just sit in a cabin for a month and not talk to anyone and be perfectly happy. Understanding that our kids are very, very unique individuals. Unique from us, unique from each other. Uh, and respecting that, not kind of trying to force them. And I feel like once we started to accept and soften into that, a lot more opportunities came our way to meet people and to see the kids enjoy getting to know other kids and yeah but in short it has it's been both wonderful and challenging i think to be our own little four person unit what about what have you thought well found? I, yeah it's been so far it's been a bit different because we've we've known we know people in canada we've been staying in towns where we've known people and the kids known known people and so i think that way there there is still a bit of connection because they know them from past trips or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's not completely unknown to them. I will say that. Right. But they have missed friends and family. Oh, yeah. They have missed little things like a particular toy that they left behind mm-hmm. just randomly comes up. I've learned a lot about, yeah, how sensitive they are to things. Yeah. And it's been like it's been just knowing your kid's I feel like at a deeper level. Oh yeah. Has been just fantastic. I'd say that that's actually been one of the biggest benefits that I didn't realize we would be able to experience. Mm. Truly. Mm. 
So I feel really blessed in that, yeah, there's been some hard times, but just spending time with them. Mm. And Brooke and I spent a night out and they were staying with friends and I miss them for those <laughs> four hours I was out, which you know, often is the case when you when you are living with people all the time. Yeah. You know? So I don't know whether that's – but the kids, they're doing great. They are thriving. They are. They are reading. They are writing. They are creating. Mm-hmm. Hint. They are – they just – I don't know, they're just forming into fabulous little beings. And I think that the distance from school and from friendships that maybe weren't as solid as, you know, they would have liked them to be or whatever, just just the, all those outside influences is giving them the confidence in themselves to be who they are and to really own it and to figure out that, yeah, they're different, we're all different. And, you know, we've had quite a few conversations about how, oh, you're weird. I'm like, well, no, everyone's weird. There's no such thing as normal. But for them to understand that at a young age, I think, is going to help them become really solid, interesting, interested, curious people. One of our kids said I, at the beginning, I hate a distance education school. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like you as a teacher. Like really just at just the start pushing was back, hard. Yeah. And then came to this realisation and... They shared that they weren't, they couldn't be who they are at school in, yeah. the, in the past. So they've had time to think and process like, the fact that's that it's huge. different. They're yeah. making these self realizations of they didn't, they couldn't be themselves at school and now they can be themselves. Yeah. Like, that's just massive. Anyway, there's just those all the time and it's been wonderful. We will move on because this is supposed to be quick fire. <laughs> I told you I was the wrong person. The last one A Life in Progress asks, What has surprised you? the most and what's been the most challenging about our trip so far surprised and challenging surprised was how emotional i have been i wrote about it a little while ago i think on instagram i just said how big my emotions have felt since we've been away and i think it's just been the stripping back everyday removal of layers of stuff and expectations and busyness and all these other things and these emotions that have been crammed down for a long time have been spewing out of me Mm -hmm. usually out of my eyes okay like crying i've been crying a lot in a good way i'm not talking about like i'm not not unhappy but spewing out of my eyes (laughs) i'm a poet what can i say yeah i big emotions Really big, sometimes really positive, feeling things really deeply, and other times, like when I found out the place that we stayed at didn't have a laundry, like I yeah, was angry. That sort of stuff. That's it. It's and it's just it's way out of proportion. So, what's been the most challenging? Ah. Finding a, a rhythm that works for everyone, because really we've got a lot of moving pieces to most of our days. The kids have school, which is anywhere between two and four hours a day. Uh, I need to work. You need to work. Your work situation is a lot more strict and rigid than mine. Uh, but finding it plus exploring and enjoying this incredible opportunity, you know, every day. We find ourselves in the Canadian Rockies. I don't want to sit inside all day and do school and work. Like I could do that at home. You know, so I it's been finding a rhythm that isn't rigid, that isn't fixed, that isn't full of expectations that make me feel weighed down but that also allows the things that need to happen in our day actually happen. What about you? 
What surprised me the most is how easy it is has been to to te- be the teacher, okay. be the facilitator in school. Our kids' schooling. I've really enjoyed it, and I You're feel good like at it. I'm almost a natural at mm-hmm. it. And that's felt really, really good. And it surprised me how easy it has been. The most challenging for me is working late at night. Yeah, and, and having to be having to stay awake because of the time differences when I've been dealing with clients back home. That's, mm-hmm. I always knew that would be a challenge. Is it like beyond me at the moment? No, not really. But it is, it's a very, it's very challenging to do, to be always conscious of, okay, what time of day is it in Australia? Yeah. That constant challenge. Yeah. But it works for and against us, which is pretty much like anything in life. You know, it works for us because you have the days free when everyone in Australia is asleep. It works against us because then you have to be on call and awake and with it and and engaged at a time when the kids and I have often gone to bed. But so far been pretty good. It has. It's been wonderful. And you're doing incredibly well too. Next episode will be an episode in May mm-hmm. where we will start, well, would have started our experiment for the first couple of days. Yes. And we are overwhelmed to announce that unsurprisingly, our experiment theme for the month is the daily creativity thing. Beautifully said. We are doing, we have committed to working creatively, doing something creatively every day for the month of May. Doesn't have to be the same thing. And we're being, again, like the Great Outdoors experiment that we finished in March, at the end of March, this one is going to be as simple as possible for everyone because I want it to be as accessible as possible. But like I said at the end of the last experiment, there is something really important at play with creativity. And I've spoken with Steph, who does some work on social media for us about it. And she, I, I loved talking to her about it because she's like, well, what about people who don't sculpt or paint or draw or sing or dance? Yeah. And I said, absolutely. But how do we make this idea of creativity about mindset rather than about an activity? And she said, well, what about things like getting dressed in a creative fashion in the morning or cooking, like treating cooking dinner as a creative pursuit. So I think that really without laboring the point too much, this month is about doing something creative every single day. Now, I think I will mostly be working on a particular project, but you don't have to be. You can do literally anything. Obviously share it on Instagram if it's shareable, but this doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be, you know, a painting. It doesn't some things you won't be able to share. Like it won't be. How a can you share exactly? Thing. How yeah. can you share a creative solution to a problem? Right. No, exactly. You know, if it's like a, a mental problem or, or like a relationship problem, or so I think that we're obviously going to go much further in depth with this next week. But the research around creativity and the benefits that creating something every day have on your relationships, on the way you work on the way you parent, on your mental health is phenomenal. Just as simple as looking at things in a different yeah. perspective. That's that's essentially what it is for me. Yeah. So uh, in the show notes for today's episode, I've written a little more about kind of the rules is the wrong word. Guidance. But the, yeah. The, the idea behind this month's experiment. 
and go and check it out over at uh, slowyourhome.com slash two, three, five and join in. You know, first of May, start creating. Uh, I've created a little download where you can track your month's efforts at being creative. Very simple, like one line today, I did something, did you know yeah. whatever it was uh, and just see. I really just, again, we're returning to this idea of let's just see. Let's see what happens if we commit to creating every day. So that's exactly. what we're doing. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It's been a pretty long podcast. It's, it's been, been a the longest for a long time. We've updated quite a lot. We wanted to get through a lot of Q&As and felt like it was necessary hmm. to a certain extent. It's, I've felt good. I felt good too. I yeah. like taking our time answering questions, especially when they're as insightful as the questions everyone has asked us. Exactly. Mm. Uh, yeah, but in the meantime, have a cracker of a week. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.